We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. We hope you've had an opportunity to listen to part one of Marriage and Minkies. As you've learned, Sam joined us in this conversation and in this podcast. So feel free to, if you haven't listened to episode one, find episode one, which should be just prior to this one. And now you can join this conversation already in progress. So Sam, do you attend all the doctor appointments? Kind of talk about your role. Do y'all have a very traditional role in your family? Um... Yeah, that. so for for right now, I am kind of a traditional dad role. I do leave the house every day around seven, and I come back around five. Uh, work downtown, and so I. Uh, well, with COVID, you know, Evans had a lot of telemedicine appointments, and so I haven't been going or being home for any of those. I went to Ryan's first few appointments, you know, when he was a couple weeks old or a month old. But for the most part, Lauren kind of handles their day-to-day medicine and and doctor visits. And if I'm home or if I'm there, I'm happy to go. But I generally kind of leave it to her and I don't don't go to those things. If Evan had or Evan were to go to the actual doctor, like in person, I might go to that. I used to go to those occasionally. But for the most part, you know, with Hannah or one of the other nurses here to help Warren get up into the doctor, kind of trust her enough that unless it's something I want to be a part of, I'll, I'll come home occasionally if hospice is coming or if Evan's having a bad day or a bad week and I want to listen in or give my thoughts on it and just more for my own comfort more than anyone else's. Just, I guess, never know like when Evan's last day is going to be. It could be one big seizure or bad flu or cold and that could be it and so I try to come home whenever he's not feeling well just more of peace of mind if something were to happen I'm there not that I can help in any way because Warren and Hannah always can do it themselves but it's just nice to to be there even if he is just having a bad day and sleeping I just come home and just sit next to him just because I can take Ryan over for a little bit at five o'clock and (laughs) typical dad stuff on that, on that part, which is both nice that I'm able to have that role. But before Ryan, you know, I always felt like was kind of missing out on Evan. Just don't know how long we have Evan. And it was, it was hard to leave every single day. Know that, you know, if Evan only has six years, I'm giving up you know, weeks at a time to go downtown to an office for for work, like how important is that really? And obviously it is important. It's insurance and it's money and it's our lifestyle. But what's the trade-off to miss out on good days with Evan or giving Evan in the pool and I'm in an office 20 miles away? Um, I know in an earlier podcast, Lauren walked us through the uh, diagnosis day. What do you remember about that day? 
Uh, pretty much everything. It was probably one of the two biggest, three biggest days of my life. Um, I don't necessarily need to retell the story. I already told it, but yeah, we got a call on Monday morning asking us to come in and we both instinctively knew like no doctor's going to ask you to come in for good news. So we knew something was wrong, didn't know what was wrong, got there at the end of the day and she basically just told us he has Mickey's and like, okay, well, that's not bad, you know, copper deficiency, you know, people take iron supplements, like, let's get him some meds. And obviously it turned out to be much bigger or much worse than I ever thought possible. And it was a hard day of, you know, just recognizing and understanding that our our first and only child at that time, that he wasn't going to be here for a long time. He wasn't going to do typical things. And, you know, they were, his, his neurologist was very positive, but generally the Minkie's disease is, is not good as we, we know. And so it's a very kind of pessimistic disease in, in its nature and it's a regressive disease. And so, I don't know, it was just an overall kind of shock that it was going to be bad and it was going to be short and it was a tough day. I was going to say she, if I remember right, Lauren kind of shared that, that y'all's focus became that you're three, like, you know, three years old is what y'all were kind of told. And so, um, so what were some of the things I guess that were going through your head on what you needed to do before age three happened? I don't know. I mean, to be honest, like, I, I think it was hard and I, it's still kind of hard now to, to rationalize or recognize that, especially then, like, what, what do you mean he's not going to live past three? That's, it's only two years away or two and a half years away. It's like, what, and at that time, I mean, we kind of knew, like, he had low muscle tone and he wasn't doing certain things, but he wasn't having seizures. He wasn't on oxygen. And so he was, we thought, doing good for his diagnosis. Like, oh, well, this is fine. Like, he doesn't have oxygen or a feeding tube or seizures. Like, yeah, he he doesn't have head control, but like that's not that big a deal. I mean, he's six months old. Like, we'll work on it. And so I, I think at the time I didn't really understand or acknowledge that how how different life was going to be or how challenging it was going to be to have him or things. So I didn't really necessarily think about things we must do or should do before three. It was kind of a day at a time. And I think kind of to relate to your marriage question is we decided, you know, early on that we were going to do as much as we could or what we could to be a normal family or a typical family and have Evan experience things and get out and do things. And we took him to the zoo and we took him obviously to San Diego, to New Jersey, to Texas, took him to Colorado. We, we tried to do as much as we could. And we kind of like front loaded a lot of our activities. We, I mean, he went on big trips at one and two and three years old, seven months old. Seven months old. And so 
I think at the time we just tried to say like, okay, you know, we're, we'll just deal with a day at a time and we'll try to have as much fun as we can. And we'll try to teach him what we can or he'll teach us what we need to know kind of on a day by day basis. And I never really, and still today, try not to think about like what he's missing out on. I mean, obviously you think about it, but yeah, I don't have certain milestones or ideas in my head that we must do or have to do. I think we try to just live normal lives as much as possible and just kind of like, you know, Evan, Evan is Evan and we try to just do what we can with him when he can. And if we don't get to go on a trip or don't get to take him to places or do things with them. I don't kind of like beat myself up over it anymore. It's just kind of the nature of what his prognosis is. And we also know too, like, well, I remember Sam telling me like Sam doesn't, or Evan doesn't know any better. So like, if we want to go on a trip, it's not like Evan doesn't care whether we go on the trip or not. Like he doesn't know what he's missing. Cause he doesn't, we haven't told him, we haven't showed him. He doesn't like, he didn't know what Disneyland was until we told them where like a lot of kids they know what Disneyland is because they talk about it all like parents talk to their kids like hey we're going to go to Disney World this is what's going to look like and we didn't do any of that we didn't prep him so we don't and him being our oldest I mean obviously we know what a typical family looks like but for the first few years I mean we didn't know we didn't know we were just having fun with Evan yeah he weighs down all the time or plays with minimal toys because of his control but like I never until we're like out and about and seeing other three-year-olds or four-year-olds or five-year-olds you know like this is our life and Evan's happy and he laughs a ton and he enjoys what he does and he enjoys what we do with them and so we didn't know you know like what is a two-year-old supposed to be doing I don't know like for him, he's doing great. You know, he's playing with his toys and watching his shows and he's laughing a lot. Like, that's fine with me. I don't, I don't care to compare him to the kids that are learning to color or read or whatever you do at two years old. It's just, that's all we knew. And we just made the best of it. I love that. Um, Sam, so Lauren has kind of talked to us about how um, Evan communicates and it's with his eyes. And so um, does he communicate the same way with you? Yeah, he does. And uh, I'm a little more skeptical on how much he actually communicates. Lauren's pretty set that he knows exactly what he's talking about. And I think he does too. He does. Lauren will ask him some questions. Like, he doesn't even know what that word means. He's just responding yes, he to you. He does know what it means. And that's the but thing you can is, ask him. With, with, a, with a special needs child that does not communicate verbally, it is hard because like Sam says, he doesn't know that word. He's probably heard that word in some of his shows or whatever he's doing. Like it's, and Hannah and I talk all day long. Like he, kids pick up on things. Like he understands. He understands way more than I think we give him credit for. Possibly. But yes, I think for sure he communicates and he will answer yes or no questions. And he's really good telling you what he wants. And so I'll ask him, you know, do you want to watch this show? Do you need a diaper change? Do you need this? And he will respond with yes or no. He raises his eyebrows for yes, closes his eyes for no. And so um, 
on that aspect, he certainly communicates, but Lauren will ask him things like, I don't even know, like, do you want to go on a roller coaster? Like, he doesn't know what a roller coaster is, but. But I asked him the other like, day, like. So sometimes wanted... I feel like he just responds just to respond to mom and not necessarily answer the question. Well, like we asked him to go to the pool and one day he was like, so for it. And I, the next day I asked him, we had a bunch of people over that day. And I said, do you want to go to the pool? And he was a hard no. And I asked him multiple times because I always give him more than one chance. And he kept saying no. So I was like, okay, dude, I'm done. <laughs> and then I walked back in maybe an hour or two later and I asked him again. And he said, yes. But I'll ask him. I, I tell him I love him every night. I say, do you love me too? And he'll raise his eyes, yes. Or he'll say, ah. Or he'll squawk at me and <laughs> says he loves me. Or he'll say, no. And I say, you don't love me? And he'll start laughing. And so you know for sure he communicates. He knows the word love for sure which is all that we can ask for. Ooh, that's that's good. Um, and obviously he has been loved from day one in your family. And so this is, there's no question he understands what love is, so. We very much spoil him in our house. <laughs> like I said before, I used to hold him all the time and then he got to an age where it's like, get off me, mom. Like, stop it. <laughs> uh, he deserves to be spoiled. Something you said earlier about not hearing mom and dad, that, you know, as a, as a dad and and you just sometimes want to hear yourself be called dad by your yeah. child and then you said that he's nonverbal, so he does he does make sounds with his voice has he ever um has he ever tried to identify you with a sound uh not necessarily with the sound but if you say like where's mom he'll kind of look around and find her so he he knows that we're mom and dad i mean when, when he was when he was real real little like I would say six months, seven months. He said dad, dad twice. Sam was not home. But like our speech pathologist said, if he says it, he says it, whether it's to something or not. He And he said mama twice, two or three times, but never to me. He just, but he doesn't do the mama, dad, dad. It's usually yells. <laughs> like he'll sing. So like if there's a song on, he can like fluctuate his voice to like the tune of the song. He knows who we are, and so he he recognizes that I'm dad. And if you say, "Where's dad?" He'll look around. And he'll smile at me, but I haven't noticed him like have a certain sound or anything for me in particular. Have y'all ever thought about uh, a speech device for him? Could that is that something he could coordinate? He has he has a Toby M, which is a speaking device, uh -huh. an eye gazer, and we started it before the age of three maybe at two. And we had to actually, I just, just saw a video and it was, I asked him if he wanted to read a book and he didn't respond. And I said, do you want to watch the show? And he said, yes. And my other nurse said, do you want to watch Little Einsteins? And he said, yes. And I said, good job. And he said, thank you. And I was like, where'd you get your manners from? Like great manners. And he said, and I said, where'd you get your manners from? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> But like, that's just who we, but I, but we don't, he, with that device, he's learned that by himself. Like we would put it in front of him and he did it. And then we end up having really bad seizures and then that long hospital stay of a month. And when we came home from there, I just felt that I didn't want to make Evan work and his, he wasn't always consistent with his eyes. He was kind of drifting a lot of just not really being with us. Um, which I talked to my nurse, we need to pull that back out. We had, yeah, he's got the Toby and we worked with him for a little while on it, but we had it on a loan for 
three months. Yeah. And he got decently good at it. And we were real excited. Then, like Lauren said, he had seizures at the hospital. Insurance. We got or loaded, it was an insurance. We had it before. We got the loan. The loaner got taken away. And then it took us several months to like get insurance to approve us getting our own. And it was just a lot. And and then when he got the Toby back, it wasn't the same as the loaner. So we had to relearn it and it didn't have the same games. And, and rather it's just him being him or it's too much work for him. If if he looks uncomfortable or gets tired or we kind of tend to help him out too much and we'll make him stop and get him back to a comfortable position just so, I mean, he can't tell us if he's happy or mad or frustrated. And so if he doesn't look like he's enjoying it, we'll stop it pretty early. We're pretty bad at like making him push through because, I mean, we don't know. And so you just want him to be happy. And so we kind of give up pretty quick and put a show back on for him and he'll calm back down. And so I don't know if it was him not wanting to do it or it being too hard for him. He has to sit up in order to do it. And he's he kind of struggles sometimes sitting up. And so we gave up pretty quick on like, we let him just do his own thing and try not to push him too much because if he's going to be miserable trying to learn the eye gaze device, like what, what good does it really do? I mean, yeah, it's nice and it's fun to like interact with him, but if he's not enjoying it, then I'd rather him just be happy. And with him saying this is completely different, but we, I remember being um, at a support group with special needs moms. And I remember being very early in my walk with Evan and sitting there and a mom told us that she was going to stop therapy, some type of therapy. And I kept thinking as a special needs mom who just got a diagnosis, like, how could you do that to your child? How could you take something away from him that would help him tremendously? And then shortly after, now I feel terrible because now I've already walked that walk and we have canceled therapies because one, it's not safe for Evan. Like we did the feeding therapy for a while. And then we got to a point where feeding by mouth shouldn't be the goal anymore because it was, it was dangerous. And Evan wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't enjoying it. The therapist, like we just, nobody was enjoying, enjoying it. And that's kind of, I think that walking this walk, you realize, like Sam said, if he doesn't feel comfortable, what's the point of doing it? Like, it's not, he, I mean, I joke around saying, like, hopefully my child was not the one who's supposed to cure cancer because, because, like, he, that's not, that's not where we want him. Like, we want him to be comfortable and happy. And if he's going to cry and complain about it, like, that's, it's not enjoyable for any of us. So. And then going back to the marriage and the relationship and about Evan, do y'all typically talk about halting those kind of services and stuff together before you do that? And do y'all typically agree on those kind of things? In the beginning, we were on Sooner Start and they were amazing. They'd come to the house, we did great jobs and they knew too, like where what our goals were. And very early on, Evan learned how to play possum. So when he does that, where he just pretends like he's sleeping, I call his bluff and we push through. And I keep telling him like, you need to open your eyes and he will. And I'm like, you need to do this so that we can go watch a show like I would any other kid, like even though he's special needs, doesn't give him a special privilege to be a punk about things. And then for feeding therapies, I was going with Evan. And I think I came home that day and was like, I don't, I think we need to stop. 
and he was like, okay. Cause like you could see, I mean, we weren't doing that at home, but I don't remember any other therapies. I think I'm, I'm pretty easy going on most things and kind of leave it up to Lauren. She sees it every day and I'm usually not here during the week. And so I think we should try every therapy that is offered to us. And if it goes well, then go keep going until he doesn't like it. And or if it's not doing anything and he's miserable, then I don't I don't mind just stopping it and saying, because I don't have any expectations that he's gonna magically like start talking to us or like start crawling around or anything. I mean, we kind of know what his limitations are. I just want him to be happy with whatever he's doing. And if you know he watches Disney movies for 10 hours a day, and I always think, God, oh, how boring like is it to watch movies nonstop? But he continues to laugh and scream and roll around and, and interact with the shows, even though he's seen them a thousand <laughs> times. So like, you know, if he's if he's cool and happy, like laughing at Ratatouille for the thousandth time, like I'll keep playing Ratatouille. Like that's what he wants to do and he enjoys it. So what's the point of making him, you know, do stretches or or workout programs or therapies if like he's gonna just be miserable for half an hour. Like I'm totally cool having him just sit there and be held or watch a show or something that's easy on him. And if he's enjoying it, then that's all that matters. And you had talked about, or you had asked about the marriage part and Sam had said like, I spend all my time with him during the day. So it is nice that like he has a different outlook on it. Cause he can tell me like, Hey, I've noticed this. And it's like, what? It's like, have you not noticed that Evan does this? It's like, I mean, I'm around him all, all the time. And for me, it might be subtle, but for Sam, like he notices things that I don't see. And I always take it into consideration of like, okay, well, how can we fix it? Or he'll tell me like something needs to be fixed. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I've been trying to fix it. I got, I, I have nothing up my sleeve anymore. Like, what are your ideas? Because him and I have tried multiple times and like Sam will come in and like, sometimes it just, he just needs dad to, hold them up or put them a different way and fixes it. So we're really good about Sam will tell me what his concerns are. And then we will, as a team, try to fix it. And it's usually me sometimes being like, I tried. <laughs> like, I don't know how to fix this. <laughs> but and Sam's so patient with me and being like, okay, like, like, let's walk through it. Like, what have you tried? Like, what, what can we, I think that works too. Is like, I'm not, I try not to be, like, I understand where Sam's coming from, and I try to try, as Lord, be very patient of what he, when he has something to say, because, like, I'm around it all day, and he's coming in and saying, not always, but we'll say something, and I'm, like, frazzled, because I don't know how to fix it, and I'm a fixer. And another thing that helped, too, is, like, I am all about therapy for myself. So, like, counseling, um, when Evan turned six months, I started going to counseling and I started doing Bible study. I needed to have a release. I needed to get out. I needed to go do something. And I think that's helped a lot because with counseling, I used to just unload on Sam. And because like he would be at work, he'd walk through the house and like go back to the bedroom and change and get his stuff done and would come back out. 
And I'm sitting there just, I was fine all day until Sam walked in the house and, I, and I'd be fuming. So I'm like, I've had this crying baby or this child that's my thought was like, I was with this child all day long. You come home, you should want to be with us. And where Sam thought like, I need to decompress. I need to go change, go to the bathroom, like go do my stuff before I can enter this world. And counseling helped because I don't, I, I learned expectations on Sam like I had such high expectations and I think a lot of women, special needs or not, do on their husbands of like what your, what your life should look like. And when, you're, when your spouse comes home, they should automatically want to play with your children where they don't always want to do that and that should be okay. But my expectations were Sam would hop right in from working, would hop right into our lives and like there was no, there was no time for him him to take his time. So I was like, I'm, I haven't gone to the bathroom today. I've been with this child. Like when, when was the time I was going to, like, I had to go to the bathroom. Like you can hold, hold this baby. I don't know. And I think that that helped a lot was counseling for me because I knew that I needed something or someone to just vent to, even though he did nothing wrong. Like he's a, he's an amazing dad. Sam, do you like to hear Lauren say that about you? You're an amazing dad. I'm pretty amazing. <laughs> That's right. No, I'm, she does 95% of the work, so it's pretty easy for me to be a good dad when hey. I get to just do all the fun stuff and help out when needed. You know, she's an amazing mom that does everything that I could ever ask for Evan and for Ryan. I got the easy part. Everything Lauren has said has always pointed to the fact that you are a great dad, so um, Thank I you. We originally wrapped up the podcast at this point, and then off air, we kind of had some sidebar conversations. Future podcast ideas came up. One of those ideas was about if if they would have time knowing that the end was near. What does that look like for them, and how how do they tell their families, and, and just the conversations they've had with the doctors and and physicians and to identify some of that. And as we were processing all of that, Lauren said, you need to record this. And as Sam described a few things to us, and of course, with their permission, I certainly wanted to include this in our podcast today. From what they've told us is not to have any expectations on what end of life looks like. It could be one, it's not necessarily the seizures, kind of when he has or seizures, his oxygen will drop and, or he'll get, have a positional thing or something caught in his throat that he can't clear. And you can see like he's gone from a hundred percent oxygen. I mean, he's on a post ox all the time. So we can always see it. He goes from a hundred to 90, 80, 70, 60, 50 to five to three. And like, you can see his color changing the whole time. And they told us, you know, he's strong enough right now that he's able to reposition or get suctioned or bounce back. But like, he should never go to three. Like that's something that eventually that could be it. Like he won't be able to come back from three. He'll go from three to zero and that's it. Or and that doesn't happen often. That doesn't happen often. So, so they're like, that could be one way that, or it could just be, you know, a while back, it's been two years, 
he wasn't, his lungs were not expelling carbon dioxide and he had a, a big carbon dioxide buildup and he slept because he was still getting oxygen. His oxygen read at 100 or 95 or whatever, but he was sleeping like for days and he was not opening his eyes. And they said like, so he's on a BiPAP now to help with that. But at some point they basically warned us like the BiPAP isn't gonna help. And he, will, he could very well get carbon dioxide build up again. And I mean, that sounds morbid to say, but that's kind of what they're hoping for. Because I mean, he did look quiet and peaceful. He slept, and at some point, you kind of just drift off. And so that's kind of their, which is weird. But the intensivist preference is, yeah, like if you can get carbon dioxide buildup, like the doctor told us, like if I can die with carbon dioxide buildup, it's like that's the way I want to go, not oxygen deprived. But you just have like it basically puts you to sleep, and then you just kind of quit breathing and it's like that's the most peaceful thing that like you can ask for when an event like that is happening like obviously you don't want it to happen so there are some warning signs that they said you can look for this and this and his he stopped digesting food at certain periods of the last couple of years and they said that's a big thing we don't know why that's happening that's could be part of his gut shutting down or it could be an infection we don't really know but that's one of the things they said to look for is just kind of typical, I guess, end of life signs that aren't normal, that could be something or it could be nothing. And so they're kind of like, it could be, you know, I've always told Lauren, like my biggest fear is that it is like a, a seizure or oxygen problem because it's terrifying and sad that you can see like, he's turning colors and he's gasping for air and there's really not anything you can do about it. And like, he looks terrified, like when it happens. And so that's like my big fear is we're going to be like, here, like holding him and he's going to look terrified and going to pass from oxygen deprivation that there's nothing we could have done, but they're the intensivist and his doctors kind of said, you know, that's like a very real like possibility that a lot of kids that does happen. Like, like I said, he won't be strong enough to come back from a low, low, low oxygen level. So that's, there's all sorts of things they kind of like warned us about, but they're always very hesitant to say like, these are the things you should look for. This is how it's going to happen because they don't know and they don't want to give us a false sense of alarm or security of being like, no, that's nothing or don't worry about that or do worry about that because that may or may not be it. And so for the first couple of years when I went back into the office, like I was literally terrified to have Lauren call me. And like, it's a weird thing. Like if he's having a bad day or bad week and I go to the office that day, like, is that call going to be, you need to come home? Is that call going to be we're at the hospital? Is that call going to be like, he's gone? And so it was scary, like leaving and kind of gotten used to it now and kind of had a good space with it. But there's always a chance like that call is like, 
I don't know how to tell you this, but you know, Evan didn't pop back up this time. And that's just something that we've got to be prepared for, I guess. I don't know if prepared is the right word, but yes. acknowledge that's a likely outcome at, at some point. Yeah. And those are those are real conversations that you are not only having with doctors end of life and what that looks like for him, but also with each other and and how to get you there in time and how to, you know, her phone call doesn't mean stop by the grocery store and grab this for dinner. Yeah. You know, it's so I told her a while back, I was like, you know, I'm like so scared that like your call is gonna be a bad thing. Cause there was a while there, like she didn't want to bother me at work. Like I had just gone back or whatever. And so it was like, when she calls, it was like something wasn't right. So now like we kind of text throughout the day some days and, or she'll call just to ask about whatever, or she needs something. And so it's kind of like, or she'll come to lunch and stuff. And so it's not like I'm waiting on this like terrifying phone call, but I told her it was like, it's like it's terrifying to like be scared for your call and so we kind of like talked about it and and so she'll warn me more now I think than she used to of if Evan's having a bad day or bad morning like she does a pretty good job of saying like this is what we're seeing like she'll text me like hospice is going to come like check on him not telling you to come home but if you want to come home like here's what's happening and so Obviously, I would like to be a part of those conversations, and I would, I mean, ultimately like to be here when that event does happen. Like, no one wants to be, you know, off at work having lunch with your coworkers or your friends, and like, oh, he's gone. Like, you, I think I want to be a part of like the process for myself, for Lauren, and for Evan. That that's something that I'm there for, and so. I don't know, it's just a wild life of kind of waiting for a bad thing to happen. But we also send you, like, now, Sam will randomly ask Hannah and I both, like, how Evan's doing, because sometimes I'm really bad at text messaging back. But, like, I and will send him pictures of the boys in the morning, like, or he'll ask randomly how they're doing, just so he can get an update. So, like, like he said, we talked more, but it's not always bad. Like, I'll send, like, good things throughout the day, too, just so he knows, like, how they are doing. But it's not, like he said, not all bad, but. Well, I can kind of tell now, like, when I leave for work, like, Evan is usually up when I leave, and you can kind of tell, like, oh, he's smiling, laughing, he's watching the show, he's having a good day, like, okay, like, going to work. Or you can be like, mm, something doesn't look right today. It's like, make sure you keep me updated or I'll ask, you know, like, how's he doing today? Or how's everybody today? And they'll say like, oh yeah, no, he's fine now. It was a rough hour or whatever. But once he got into his routine, like he's fine now. Or they'll say, yeah, we'll keep you updated. Like he's having a bad day. And I think Sam does a really good job of like reading me. So he knows that I'll, I won't have him come home unless I really need him to. But there was one day we didn't have a nurse and it was just me and the boys and Evan wasn't having a great day. He wasn't having an awful day. But Sam took a half a day because he knew, I mean, just it being a bad day, it's emotional. 
it's one of those like you don't know you don't know if this is the beginning of the end you don't know and like there'll be times where it's a couple of days where we haven't seen him his eyes and then i'll ask sam like what are your thoughts like like are we going down a road like is this the beginning of the end and he's like well, i don't know like i don't think so and like we'll have those conversations but they're not premature anymore they're usually a couple days in because we're both thinking it it's just what what our thoughts are if that makes sense yeah do y'all bring your families in on that your extended families or is that just kind of between you two um we do when it comes to a week Lauren talks to her family or keeps some updated probably more than I do my family mainly because my family's here and I feel like if I send out a message or calm and we actually have done it before like called my dad who's like on vacation in Colorado or California or whatever I don't want him to feel like he needs to come home and like this is it so I generally like I try to be pretty conservative with kind of what I tell my family because I don't want you know my brothers and my nephews and my dad all like rushing over here or my aunt and uncle because we've done it two or three times where we had it we're at the hospital or home this could be it if you want to come say goodbye you know and it's like just they, kidding they like drop everything and they rush up to the hospital and then a day later we're home so we try to and her family is in houston and so she kind of keeps them updated of like he's having bad days or weeks and they kind of will try to gauge like based on our responses and stuff like if they should come up and so we don't necessarily tell them every single day of like oh it's bad today kind of like try to wait and see if he bounces back or usually wait a few days and say hey just update you evan's had a really rough weekend or week or whatever will keep you posted so it's kind of a I don't send out mass text messages to our family until like day five to day seven. Like I give it almost a week because every day is kind of different, but if it's the same pattern for five days, it's probably going to continue. So that's my, and I don't want anybody to say, well, you didn't tell us. We didn't know. We could have come. And it's like, at that moment, it's like, it's the same thing we've been doing. Because they have gotten mad at us. Like, why didn't you tell us? Like, well, nobody asked. What do you want us to <laughs> tell you? Like, he's having a bad week and like he bounced back now he's fine like why didn't you tell us last week like, i don't know like i'm not sure what to tell you like you want to know every time he has a bad day or that that would be hard to try to find that find that balance of okay we need to share this information because things could be going downhill very quickly versus oh my gosh well now he's <laughs> we're home from the well, hospital like, and the conversation like the the things that I don't like hearing is, well, it's Evan, he'll bounce back. And it's like, mm, okay. It's like, I, maybe, and I hope so, but then I'm not going to tell you because you think it's just going to be Evan. Like, I, like, I don't want to tell you too often because Evan does do this often. And, but I also don't want to hear, he's Evan, he'll be fine. Like, because that's not real. Like, that's not our reality. It's like, yes, it is Evan but this time might not be fine. And like how I said before, like my mom was like, it's okay. Like, well, we definitely was not okay. Like it, she, we've all learned, like, we don't say that anymore. Like, it'll all be fine. Everything will be 
okay. It's like with, when you walk this walk, you can't say that because you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. There's only one time that it doesn't have to be okay. Uh -huh. And, and, and I, you know, I use the analogy that we can cry wolf all we want and the story of the little boy that cried wolf. And what we all have to remember is that at the end of the book, there was a wolf, yeah. you know? And so it's just one of those experiences that, I mean, it's not that we're crying wolf. That, and that, that was a, probably a super bad story to even say. Because it's not no, that, I think it's it spot on. Um, but it's just one of those things that, you know, you, you do. It, you, you just always respond because it's, it's. And, and I loved what you just said a little bit ago is that for the people who say, oh, well, it's Evan, he'll bounce back. You know, <laughs> I think that those are those gut check moments where it's like, but what if he doesn't, you know? And so, I mean, for me, that just is one of those, there is no guarantee that tomorrow, there's no guarantees. And so I. And it's true. I mean, but I think it, until you go through something similar to this, People's vocabulary is, don't worry, everything will work out, it'll be fine. Because that's what we are always taught. It's just a bad day today, tomorrow tomorrow's a different day. Right. But when you have a child or a person or a relative that is going through a struggle like this, all of a sudden, you we might be going home from the hospital and the next day Evan has a major seizure that just, that's awful. And we're like, well, I guess we're not going home. I know that was a tough way to end this conversation today on this podcast, uh, but we really do thank Sam and Lauren for being so honest and candid with their life and experiences. And we hope that they'll be able to have many more conversations on our podcast with a, a copper penny for your thoughts. And we hope that if you have questions for them, that you will submit questions for either one of them as they truly want this to be an interactive conversation with questions you have that they can answer for others to hear and learn and know about. Thank you. And we look forward to having you join us on our next podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.